I'm excited for the message this morning. This is a message that is one of those that the Lord has really worked deeply in me over the years. It's one of those areas that I admit publicly I've really struggled with um, in my younger years. It's one of those things that can be a great hurdle, uh, a great hindrance to us really walking in and stepping into the fullness of the plan that God has for us. Um, but praise God that He has a plan to work these things out in us. Even in our weakness, His strength is made perfect. Amen? So who's ready for the Word today? All right. So open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to read verses 19 through 21. And this is a story where Elijah the prophet, goes and calls his predecessor, or I'm sorry, his successor, Elisha, into the office, the call of the office of the prophet. This is where that begins. It's kind of like a passing of a torch, but it starts right here. And so let's read in verse 19. So he, he is Elijah, Elijah departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Lord, I just ask that you would anoint me today, God, that your uh, Holy Spirit would move in this place. I, I yield to you, Lord. I, I can't do anything without you as it pertains to preaching your gospel and your truth. Work powerfully through me today, I pray. Open our hearts, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you want us to hear and see today. It's for you and you alone that we come, God. And we want to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in this story, there's some really awesome things that are happening to kind of kick this off. You know, Elijah, he goes because God told him to go and anoint Elisha to become the next prophet, the office of the prophet over Israel. And so he goes and Elisha is, you know, his family are farmers, and so he's on a plow, and there's, it's called a yoke of oxen, which is just like a, a piece of wood, if you will, that hooks the necks of two oxen together so that they're a team, and, and the yoke bonds them together. And so Elisha is on the oxen, the team, and he's on the plow, and he's plowing the fields. And it says there's 12 teams, and he's on the 12th, so he's at the end, which means they probably had a pretty big farm. Now, I did do some research and we're pretty sure that this yoke, this, this farming device, this piece of equipment, it was a John Deere, okay? <laughs> Tr 
traces of green all through the soil there. So it was quality material. Uh, <laughs> Elijah, he comes along and he, and he sees Elisha and he, he knows it's him, of course. He takes his mantle, which is like a cloak that represented God's you know, splendor over that person. It was kind of like that anointing. And he takes the mantle and he takes it off and he throws it on Elisha to symbolize he's calling, he's putting the call upon him, but this is the call that's from God. And so Elisha, when it happens, he turns around and he runs to, to get Elijah. He, he knows what's going on, okay? He recognizes that this is a call from God, and, uh, and he's ready to accept the call. And he just says, hey, I just have a request. Can I go back and can I kiss my father and mother goodbye? And Elijah is like, you know, sure, do what you will. And I mean, there's, there's time, right? And so he goes and says he takes the oxen, the team of oxen, and he boils the flesh and boils it all, and they have a meal, and he uses the yoke, all the equipment, he actually uses the yoke and burns it as fuel for the fire. So every part of what he was doing was consumed. Does that make sense? So it's all, it's all been used up. And then Elisha leaves, and he goes to follow Elijah. It says that he would become his servant. And that right there, that word servant, is really the key that I want to focus on today, is this is the beginning of a relationship between a mentor and a mentee, a relationship of learning and of receiving that is absolutely necessary if Elisha is going to become all that God is calling him to become. And it's that word servant that means to be like an understudy. It means to be coachable and teachable. It means to be an aide. It means to be like a servant. He's going to serve him during this time so that he can really glean from and learn from him in everything that he has to offer and impart before he really steps into the fullness of this calling. In fact, that word for servant that's used here is also used, this will just give you a picture of how the relationship is, it's the same word that is used to describe Joshua's relationship to Moses. And in Numbers it speaks about that, where Joshua was the servant to Moses. So he was an understudy, he was teachable, he was learning what he could from Moses so that he could become the future leader of Israel. And so the title of my message today really simply is a question. Am I teachable? Am I teachable? Now, I've, I've walked along long enough to realize that a lot of people think they're teachable. Anybody with me, right? A lot of people think they're teachable. But when it comes down to it, they're really not teachable. They're teachable when it's convenient, when it aligns easily with where they are and what they know. When disruption occurs that's where you really find how teachable people are I mean I've even said this to people who I, I work with and you know try to invest time with like I can't fix that I can't make somebody teachable and if I feel like they're not teachable I'm not saying like oh you know I just I recognize that my my value the fruit that I can help bear is just so limited and there's just too much to do that I just, I can't invest in that. And I don't think you should either, right? 
And so, am I teachable? Now, I said to you in the beginning, this is an area that I really struggled with, and I really did. When I was younger, especially when I was a teenager, in my later teenage years and into my early 20s, I just, I thought I knew everything. Anybody else? It's kind of like, you think you know everything in your 20s, and then in your 30s you realize, oh my gosh, I don't know everything. So I'm looking forward to my 40s, praise God. I mean, in 15 years I turned 40, so I cannot, you know. No, I turned 40 this year. Um... But not yet. <laughs> Katie's like, you're milking this 30s. Like, I'm in my 30s. You're like milking this as long as you can. 39 and 8 months. I'm going to keep going. Anyway. Uh, so, you know, am I teachable? A teachable spirit is an absolute necessity for our growth track. If, if we're going to grow... And we're going to become all God's created us to be. We have to cultivate and develop a teachable spirit. I don't think we come into the world with teachable spirit. I think some of us are more prone to be taught and coachable. But I think some of us are a lot more opposed to this. And God kind of has to rot this thing in us. You know, he has to really cultivate that in us. But we have to recognize, the very first thing we need to do is recognize that we have to have a teachable spirit in order for us to really grow the way that God wants to grow us. If we were resistant, like I was for so many years, like my posture was, and I wasn't, I, I don't know how to explain it, other than I just really wanted, I, I was overconfident, I just thought I knew more than what I did, I underestimated the value of experience, you know, and I thought that a lesson learned mentally meant so much not that it doesn't but a lesson learned through experience has so much value and i really just for a number of years i walled myself off i closed myself off from so much that i could have received from people who were willing to impart to me it's my greatest regret honestly as in my leadership journey through business and then in, in into ministry it's my greatest regret in my early years that i didn't have this thing figured out sooner um, but God has really showed me and he's, he's really humbled me in this way to help me to see how important it is that I have a teachable spirit. And we know that when you study marriages, when you study businesses, that uh, the statistics are alarming. I mean, one in two marriages fail in the United States today, 50%. And businesses that start, I think it's 80%, last time I checked the Forbes articles was 80% of small businesses fail in the first two years, and I actually think it's 18 months. High levels of, of failure. But I read an article one time where they did a, a study, and they actually studied marriages and businesses that started and they track those that just went right into it with no counsel, no wisdom, no guidance. And then they followed those that had premarital counseling and businesses that had counsel and training and mentors and people around them. And the failure rate was reduced by one-third for the people that actually had counsel and wise advice to lead them and guide them. And marriages as well. They're the third less of those that failed in that amount of time. So I think that goes to show us that if we'll open ourselves up to be taught, to uh, perhaps 
relearn some things. Let me say it this way, unlearn some things, right? I mean, that's where it gets tough because in, in, in being teachable, not everything you knew is just some, not everything you learn or you hear is just something brand new and you're just like, oh yeah, that's great. Like some things are going to force you to let go of things that you thought you knew, places that you had already come to. And that takes humility to say, oh, I think I may have been wrong about this or I think I may have to re, you know, think my views or my position on some of these things. And that's where the enemy tries to get in with pride and say, you can't do that, you know? And then, boom, we, we, we take that bait, and all of a sudden we start to unknowingly, doing that again and again and again, we cultivate an unteachable spirit where pride starts to get a place, starts to get ground and footing in our lives. And so this relationship between Elisha and Elijah is, to me, a perfect picture of being teachable and of being open and willing to receive so that we can become all that God has created us to be. Because here's the fascinating part, is that that's where the story stops for a long time. 1 Kings 19. And then you get into 1 Kings 20, and you go all the way to 2 Kings chapter 2. You don't hear anything about Elisha. You hear all about Elijah and the continued miracles and the things that he did. But Elisha is there. Do you, you understand? He's there and he's with him. By all accounts, it's estimated that before Elijah dies, we're going to read that in a minute, and Elisha kind of takes on the role of the office of the prophet and, and moves into that. It's probably six, seven, eight years that he's with him. And so here's the point, is that the call came to Elisha, but there was much refinement and growth that needed to still happen before he would step into the fullness of what it is that God was calling him to do. And I think this happens like this in our lives too. We hear God has a plan for our life. He has a calling for our lives. And that, that, sh that should awaken something in you because it's the Spirit of God speaking to the Spirit of you. It's him speaking eternity into your heart. And that says that, you know, our, our heart has a bent towards eternity. So when that happens, it should awaken something in us. We should be like Elisha, where it fires us up in a big way. But for us to think that there's not growth that is still needed, that there's not development that's still needed for us to kind of walk into and step into the maturity of the calling would be just a simple lack of responsibility in the call that God has bestowed upon us. Are you with me? And so Elisha spends years under Elijah before he really actually takes this, this office on. Paul himself, the great apostle Paul, he says, I'm called to be an apostle by God. You know, it was years as well before he officially had hands laid on him and by the eldership and was sent and commissioned into apostleship. We know that he was hit by God powerfully and, and Jesus spoke to him. He had an encounter with God when he was riding on his donkey from Damascus and, and, and he got saved and God began to do a work in him. But it was years later, Acts 13 is when it actually, when the elders laid hands on Paul and commissioned him to go and be an apostle. And he was learning, he was growing, and he was serving you understand that? It's like in order to serve, we realize that 
we are never too good for anything. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like, I mean, the day that we think our calling is so great and so grand, and I'm not downplaying it, it is because it's from God, but the day that we think it's so grand and it's so mighty that we are too good to serve or to be an understudy or to learn or to be cultivated in a place of humility, folks, is the day we start to close ourselves off to the great work that God wants to do in our lives. Are you with me? And so Elisha uh, receives this call, but it takes time for that to develop. And I know for me, whenever I was called into ministry, and then we were called to plant this church, it, it was a really weird thing. It was like, ah, I don't feel like a senior pastor. But if we plant this church, that's what it means. Like, I'm a senior pastor, right? And I just, I, I wrestled with that. I prayed and I asked God, I'm like, I know God, you called me, but I just don't feel like that. And the Lord just showed me, spoke to me. He's like, Matt, the calling is on you, but you're going to grow into this thing for years and years to come. Like, you're not going to step into the call and be, and be matured in this thing. Like, this is part of the walk that I have you on, is to grow and to learn and to, to be raised up to become strong in that calling. I thought, well, that frees me a little bit. It does. It kind of helps take the pressure off. Because we need to recognize that we have a great calling on our life. God wants to do something powerful in us. But folks, we are always in a tempering and growing stage that we have to allow ourselves to be spoken, our lives to be spoken into if we're going to be able to grow and, and move into all that God has for us. Amen? And can I just say this, that God will put people around you in your life to be like Elijah's for you. Now, I'm not suggesting that you just open yourself up to anybody's opinion. In fact, I'm against that. It says that, that in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Well, let's define counselors. If you dig into that, you research it in the Hebrew, it's pre-approved, qualified, wise counsel. People you know hear from God. People you know love you and care about you, who have experience and wisdom to offer you. We have to be very careful about who we allow to take those places and those positions in our life. We can be equally as contaminated by giving people the, the wrong people that place in our lives as we would if we just shut ourselves off entirely to the right people. You know, you have, and, and I would say you have to be prayerful about that. Intentionally prayerful about asking God to surround you with the right people who can help you and help you grow and become all that God's created you to be. And God will answer that prayer. He wants to put people in your life who can help you grow. So if you pray and ask Him to do that, it's in line with His will, and God will answer that prayer when you pray it in faith. Lord, I know you want to put people around me that can help me, and I know that you don't want me to be exposed and listening to the wrong voices and the wrong things. God, help me, surround me, open doors for me to have those kind of relationships that I need to have. And God will answer that prayer. He's done it for me, and he's done it for many people that I know, and he'll do it for you too. My, uh, my son Dax and my youngest daughter Liza, so she's six and he's getting ready to turn four, and they're like little buddies in crime, you know. It's just, it's awesome seeing the little bond that they develop. So the other day, I'm on my, I'm sitting there studying, and Dax comes running, and he jumps up on the bed, you know. And, hey, Dad. He's like, hey, 
I could tell he's like, he's got something he wants to tell me. Like he's, he's learned something, you know. I'm like, what is it, buddy? He's like, you know, down there, he points to the ground. He's, there's like a fire. <laughs> it goes, it's called hell. And that's where bad people go. <laughs> okay, fire and brimstone. All right, well, uh, I said, uh, I said, well, yeah, th- that's, that's true, buddy. Uh, where'd you learn that? He goes, Liza taught me. <laughs> we all got to have our mentors, right? Oh, man. But I will just say, <laughs> I'll just make one more point about, you know, the, the relationship with people that we allow in our life. I say this to people all the time. It is dangerous to put yourself under someone who is not themselves under authority. It's very important that you recognize that. I mean, even this centurion, he recognized that Jesus was a man under authority. Jesus is God, but he is under the authority of the Father, and that's a demonstration to us of our lives and exemplified of how we would walk, right? And, uh, and the centurion said, I'm, I'm a man under authority. So you say the word, Lord, and it'll be done, you know. And so we just need to recognize that, that there is a, a safety and a security to having wise counsel and authority that is healthy authority over us in our lives. So important. And I, I wish I could just take that and just kind of like take that lesson and just cram it in everybody's head like right whenever they get to know Jesus you know just put it in there so that we all know it and we just accept it but unfortunately it's something that a lot of people fight and struggle with for a very long time and they close themselves off to that and so Elisha spends years working with Elijah and he sees all these great things that he's doing and there comes this point where now it's time for the baton so to speak to pass. It's time for Elisha to now come up into this role and become the, the office, take the office of the prophet in Israel. It's that, you know, put me in coach moment, right? And so let's jump over there to 2 Kings chapter 2. And I want to read these verses for you. And again, let me just say, like all things, when we do these, when we have messages on Sunday, I encourage you to go back and read all the text and all the scriptures that I use and quote whenever we go through the message and let God just continue to just drip more revelation on you from what he's already began to do in the, in the sermon. It's very important, okay? So 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1. And so it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And then Elijah said to Elisha, I know it's hard, like Elijah, Elijah, it's like, I always, it says, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And so they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elijah and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. And that's Hebrew for shut it. (laughs) I don't want to hear it. 
So what's going on here? Elijah knows God's given him revelation. He sees that he's getting ready to be taken up. He's getting ready to leave and depart. And Elisha knows it too. And so Elijah's like, okay, um, you know, you just hang here and I'm going to go down to Bethel. And Elisha's like, no, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving you. I'm staying with you. All right. This happens three times. First it was Bethel. Then it was Jericho. And then it was down to the Jordan River. Three times this, the same situation unfolds. Elijah says, I'm going to go to Jericho. I'm going to go to the Jordan. You stay here. And Elijah says, no, I'm not leaving you. And then he says to the prophet, shut it. Because they say, you know, your master's getting ready to go. He says, I don't want to hear it. Keep silent. This really speaks to me. Because it reveals the sincerity of Elisha's heart. He's not just a student in word. He's not just respecting his mentor and what he has done in word. I mean, it's his moment. It's happening, right? But he's not like, yeah, I've been waiting for this day. Finally, the old man's getting out of the way and the young buck's getting ready to step in. Right? He's not like itching at the bit. If anything, he's the total opposite. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm not leaving you. I'm not letting go. I'm holding on to you and what you have to offer me and what I can receive. I'm going to receive until you're gone from me. I'm not moving and I'm hanging on and I'm going to keep serving you. This beautiful heart. And so finally, they get to the Jordan and, and Elijah's like, what do you want, <laughs> Elisha? What do you want? And he's like, I, I want a double portion of your spirit, which is his anointing, right? He's like, I want a double portion. And I believe that this was not a request marked by greed, that it was a, it was a request marked by his heart to do great things for the people as he just watched his mentor do for many, many years under the power of God. He says, I want a double portion of your spirit. And Elijah said, hmm, You've asked the hard thing. He said, I'll tell you what. And again, under divine influence of God, he says, if you see me go up and get taken away from you, if you see that, then surely it'll be upon you. So the Lord must have revealed to him that if, if Elisha would witness Elijah get taken up, then that meant he would receive that double portion anointing. And of course, that's exactly what happened. They come down to the Jordan. Let's read... Uh, verse 8. So Elijah, this is when they come down to the Jordan, the third place. Elijah took his mantle, rolled it up, and struck the water. And it was divided this way and that way, so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I may do for you before I am taken away. He said, Please let me have a double portion of your spirit upon me. And so he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they continued on and talked suddenly, a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Oh, what a sight to see. And so he saw him no more. And he took hold of his clothes and tore them into pieces. So Elisha tore his clothes because he's grieved that his mentor is gone now. 
you, you understand he recognizes the value of what this relationship has been. Verse 13, he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And then he took the mantle of Elijah, now watch this, that had fallen from him and he struck the water and said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And when he struck the water, it was divided this way and that and Elisha crossed over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. This is amazing. First of all, Elijah is taken away supernaturally into heaven. I've got to admit, I've kind of prayed that I go that way. <laughs> There's only one other person in the Bible that had that experience. It was a man named Enoch. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 5. It's the same Hebrew translation when it says he was taken away to be caught up in the sky that's used for Elijah and for Enoch. They just, they just didn't die. They just, God just took them right up on into heaven. I mean, it's amazing. But Elisha saw it. He witnessed it. And when the mantle fell off of Elisha, Elijah, Elisha picked it up and he put it on. He received the call. And he stepped into it. But here's what is so remarkable to me. Is that he walked back to the Jordan. And he struck the very water that Elijah himself, in the last miracle that he did, had just struck and parted. And Elisha did the same thing, it parted, and he went back to where he was before that. And the Lord spoke to me one day real powerfully in these scriptures as I was studying him. He said, do you see how committed Elisha was to Elijah and being a student and learning and growing so that he could become all that he could be because he went back. He had followed Elijah down this path and when Elijah was gone, he went back and he went a different direction. It tells me he had his own path. God had a plan for him that was unique and all to his own, but he wasn't so eager to jump into, I'm going to grab on and I'm going to jump into this thing, that he was willing to learn and be taught and be coachable to receive. And when it was finally over, he went back and he began to walk down his own path after that. He went right down part of the water, went back to the place that he was, that he had followed Elijah to go where Elijah was taking him. And you see this awesome display of the kind of relationship between Elijah and Elisha that we need to have, not just the people who God puts in our lives around us, but with God himself. Let me draw a few comparisons for you about this relationship with Elijah and Elisha. And then you tell me what you start to see. Elijah puts the call, the mantle, on Elisha. Elisha forsakes all that he knew that he may follow Elijah. He buries the past to lay hold of the future. Elijah was taken up from Elisha, taken up into the sky. But when he left, he put a, his spirit, the anointing of his spirit came upon 
Elisha. Does anybody see where I'm going with this? The picture of our relationship with God and the way we must be willing to be taught to receive is on display here. Elijah, look, he's caught up into heaven. Jesus was caught up into heaven when he left them. But when he left them, he didn't leave them abandoned. He poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. Elijah, Elisha received a double portion of the anointing. He did exactly, if you study this, and I know there's a lot of different theories on this, but it's pretty much to a T, Elisha did exactly twice the number of miracles that Elijah did. In fact, there's this real fascinating story in 2 Kings chapter 13 where Elisha, he's, he's dead. They bury his body. His bones are in the ground, and they lower a dead man down into the hole and when the dead man touches the bones of Elisha he's raised to life and they raise him back up crazy Elisha was twice the number of miracles that Elijah was Jesus said greater works will you do than these which you have seen me do powerful powerful symbolism but here's the point of my message today is that the relationship between Elijah and Elisha the posture that Elisha had towards his teacher his willingness and his openness to receive from wise counsel qualified counsel again not unqualified Jesus said if a blind man leads a blind man then they're both going to fall in a hole we're not looking for blind men to lead us we were looking for the wise counsel to surround us. But he said, you know, Jesus said, I will lead you and guide you into all truth. And when you get this revelation that when God gives us his Holy Spirit, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And one of the ways that he relates to us, one of the reasons that he did that is so that he can teach us. So that it says he will guide you into all truth. It says he will teach you the things that the Father wants you to know. Let me ask you something. If the greatest teacher that you could possibly have is living on the inside of you, and he's wanting to teach you all things, should we have a teachable spirit? Should we be willing to receive everything we need to receive so that we can become what God is calling us to be? But here's the thing. It's not going to be easy. It sounds beautiful. But it's not going to be easy because we have been taught things from the world that need to be untaught. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for you. And so the Word of God, His truth, and the Holy Spirit in us are always, if we are open and willing and allow Him to, humbled and teachable, it is deconstructing things in our wiring and in our lives that are wrong, that do not align with the truth and the will of God. This is what's beautiful, the, the Word of God does. It will deconstruct and reconstruct at the same time. It has the power to do that. But we have to be willing because God will never force your will. He will never force you to be teachable. 
to be willing to receive. He'll never force that upon you. We have to make a choice to receive Christ or reject Him, and the choice lies with all of mankind. He will never force our will. But if we are teachable and coachable and willing to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to do, then He will deconstruct false belief systems, world systems and programming and experiences, hurts and wounds. Can I just tell you some hurts and wounds and pains of your path can, call, can affect your programming, can affect your thinking. You don't even know it, and you don't have the power in your natural to undo it. But God says you'll be willing to receive. I will deconstruct all that. I'll rewire all that. And I'll align your thoughts with my thoughts so that your ways can become my ways. But we have to be willing to receive that. And that there are going to come points in time where the Lord is just simply going to convict you. He's simply going to be speak, He's going to get a hold of you, and He's going to start dealing with you about something. And you'll be like, oh, Lord, I don't want to let that go. Man, can we just, can we tweak that a little bit, God? He's like, no. No, it's, it's all me or nothing. There's not an in-between here. You know, there's not a watered-down version of me. We're not going to dilute the gospel. We're not going to dilute the truth to satisfy your comfort and convenience. We say, okay. I let go. I let go, God. I give up. I surrender to you. Your way, not my way. Lead me through the pain. Lead me through the difficulty. Lead me through the challenges undo, unlearn, whatever it is that I need to undo and unlearn and put the truth in me. Build and establish the substance of truth in me so that I may live according to your way and not the world's ways. But I wonder as we close, and I'll invite the team to come back up now. You know, for a lot of people who, some people who just or maybe in churches and places where, you know, they're there. They're kind of like, they're leaning in, but they've never really surrendered. Never really, like, let go and went in all in with God. I'm going I'm to I'm surrender. I'm going to turn from the old, and I'm going to turn to the new. The act of surrender so that God can work salvation in our heart. And He can begin to lead us into the fullness of what He has for us. I just remind you, we're, we never stop growing. I mean, Paul himself said, he, he said, look, in Philippians, I, I don't claim to you that I've already attained anything. I, I'm just reaching ahead to grab hold, lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has, the upward call of Jesus Christ for me. I, I have not attained it. This is a Paul who is mature and at the end of his years. And he says, I'm not there yet. Still growing, still getting there, still learning. I think that paints a pretty good picture of where we need to remain in our lives. But even if we have made a decision to give our heart to Christ and God's Holy Spirit has come to live on the inside of us, do you know Him as teacher? Do, can you say that you are truly under the submission to the guidance and the teaching of the Holy Spirit? The instruction. Because instruction sometimes implies correction. 
right? But the Bible says that those who hate correction, they're stupid. And it doesn't mean it the way we mean it. It just means they, they miss the opportunities to grow. That's what that means, stupid. If you, if you won't receive it, then you're missing uh, so, many of what we, so much of what we need to grow to become what we're called to be. I frankly, my flesh hates it, but my spirit loves it. I, I'm, I feel like the psalmist many times who says, search me, God. Search me, Lord. I, I open my heart. Search me like a divine surgeon and reveal any iniquity if it's in me. And lead me into your way everlasting. God, I don't want what I want. I want what you want. And God will teach you and he will guide you and he will instruct you. But we must cultivate a teachable spirit. Amen.